Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Well, good morning. Oh, that came in real hot. That's right. I'm here. I got a microphone. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors and creative director here at Vox Community. If it's your first time, welcome. We have a website, voxoc.com. You can read and learn everything about us, how we started, why we're here. Um, I'm having so much fun doing this. I mean, this is, we're going on, what day is it? It's Sunday, it's March. Around this time, we're only like a month and a half out two years ago from actually starting this thing. So we're kind of coming up here on our official two-year anniversary. So that's going to be, that's fun. It's almost like I'm gearing up for an announcement that's like a big anniversary thing. There's not, there's not. But I just, I was just reminiscing, standing up here, thinking about what it was like when we started looking at what it's now. And uh, this is just so cool. So thank you guys for being here today. Um, I got just a few things uh, before we get into the morning. Of course, um, Easter is upon us within the weeks here. Um, April 1st, so April Fool's Day, so we got to watch out for that and make sure that we're actually doing it, um, which we will be, <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, more importantly, on Good Friday, uh, on the couple days before, we'll be doing um, an Easter experience, or I'm sorry, Good Friday experience at the Muckenthaler Center um, here in Fullerton um, at the Muck. So we'll be doing some hangout time. We're going to do a bit of a liturgy experience, and then we're going to do an actual walkthrough of the art gallery they have there. But about seven um, artists that we have partnered with have made pieces for us to reflect on um, and go through that experience together. So uh, we're excited about that. Um, if you are interested in getting baptized, um, this is kind of the time of the year that we do it. We haven't done it any time other than Easter. We did it last year, and then we'll be doing them again this year, of course. So you can sign up online uh, on our website there. So we'll be doing that. Um, we do have a, a little bit of a new thing to introduce um, today. So a lot of folks over the past two years have been asking us, how do we, uh, I'm interested in getting connected. I want to spend more time with some of the folks that go here. Is there any other way other than our table fellowships? Um, on some Sundays, we'll do afternoon picnics out on the grass, or we'll find an event to do, and those are other ways that we kind of get together um, com- uh, communally and corporately. Um, so... Um, We did uh, respond to this um, in one way, or I should say one of our community pastors did. So uh, uh, Heather, one of our community pastors, um, she's been working with us for a few months because we've had to kind of work out some of the safety issues, like if we do this. But um, she has started an actual Facebook group. Uh, It's called Life Around the Table. And um, through that Facebook group, um, a lot of peers like yourself and some of the community pastors will use that as a place to create events and other opportunities for you guys to connect. So it's... It's just very kind of, it's just led by that team. Um, It's pretty free form. So the staff isn't involved at all at actually creating those types of events. But it's things like, I think on the Saturday after Good Friday, there's already a hike scheduled so you can jump in um, and do that. But it's a very casual way for you guys just to actually hang out with each other, at least in some kind of organized fashion, um, should you be interested in that. So um, you can... I just did a simple uh, link on the website to get there. So voxoc.com slash Facebook group. If you don't use Facebook, and if you're obviously under the age of uh, 40, and um, (laughs) I use it actually a lot, Um, go figure. Uh, 
you can actually sign up there through email too. So if you're not a Facebook user for all kinds of good reasons, um, you can just put your email in there and Heather um, has committed to keeping a separate list of emails in which she'll then email out kind of regular events when things are taking place. So that way you can at least jump in on those. That way you're not, you don't have to kind of do it through the Facebook route. Sound good? Yeah. Cool. All right. So have fun. There's dinners and hikes and all kinds of random things that people are going to uh, start up. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, uh, there you go. Oh, no, I do have another one. Child dedications. So we're going to be doing, uh, I don't have a slide for this. Um, April 15th, last week I didn't have a date. I have a date now. So it's April 15th. Uh, child dedications, the first time we're going to be able to do those. So if you've got young babies, young kids, and um, you want to go through an experience in which we pull you guys on stage and uh, dedicate them um, to you know a life uh, around the table, then uh, that's what we're going to do. So I'll actually have two of my kids up here when we do it. So so that should be pretty rowdy and pretty fun. Um, out of my three, um, they might steal the mic and it might happen. So um, we have that. And then lastly, 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 uh, we do have our next scheduled new Devox dinner. So over the past few months, we've been collecting a lot of emails and folks that have been interested in um, coming to a new Devox dinner where we talk to you guys a lot about uh, why we exist, what we do, um, and what we hope to accomplish here, and we feed you guys. Uh, that's going to be on April 25th. So you can sign up for that on the website um, as well. So uh, this morning... In a moment here, I'm going to have Will Anderson uh, come on out and teach with us this morning. Uh, Will, you can make your way out as I kind of wrap up this other stuff. Um, after he is done teaching, uh, we're going to have a moment to listen to a couple songs before we uh, take part in communion. Um, and the Eucharist is center to, to what this church is all about for us. So um, we try to take some time to really um, engage in that. We've always called it the great equalizer that Jesus has offered us as a way to, to level and realize we all have something to give up uh, before the table, but uh, there's uh, stations all around the room. There's four stations. This one is our gluten-free one over here. Um, down front, we also have uh, these prayer walls. So if uh, you need a time to kind of write down and submit a prayer, uh, our prayer our prayer team actually goes through these and prays over them um, during the week, and that's a place that you can do that. Um, yeah, and that's it. And there we go. We're off running. Sounds good. Sounds good? Yeah. All right. Our friend Will. Take it away, bud. Cool. Thank you. All right. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. How many of you celebrated uh, St. Patrick's Day yesterday? Okay. Very few hands. The people who aren't here are the ones who did celebrate. Drinking Irish whiskey. I don't know what you're supposed to do on St. Patrick's Day, but um, welcome this morning. I want to start by asking you guys a question that I asked a group of students earlier this week, which is, what would you say are the greatest criticisms of Christians in our world? You guys can just shout them out. The greatest criticisms. Hypocrisy, okay. And? Judgmental. Those are the exact two things I heard this week. Hypocrisy and being judgmental. And so there's a chapter in a book I've been reading. It's a book about the life of Jesus. And the chapter is called When Religion Gets Sick. And it's a chapter all about the religious leadership of Jesus' day and how their systems of religion and spirituality were oppressive. And, and we know that much of the world views what we do in church in that same way. And they struggle to see the difference that the gospel makes in our lives, and I think if we're honest, sometimes we struggle to see the difference the gospel makes in our lives as well. 
And that deep down, there's this gap between who we want to be and who we actually are. And so what do we do with that as the church? One of the most common reactions is to blame and finger point. Just like our first parents in the Garden of Eden, we start to to blame. So what did Adam say when he comes face to face with God? Adam says, it's not me, it's it's the woman, right? Classic uh, male move there. And the woman says, it's not me, it's the, it was the serpent that you put here, Lord. And we know what this is like in the church today. We, we, we can find someone to blame. It's the liberals or it's the conservatives. It's the Republicans. No, it's the Democrats. It's that system or that camp of belief over there. It's that style of worship. It's that denomination. And I want to suggest something this morning, that freedom never comes from blaming, but freedom comes from exposure. I think there's nothing better that could have happened to Adam and Eve than to come face to face with God, just naked and exposed as they were, to find that they were more broken than they could have imagined, but more loved than they had ever dreamed. And so if you're willing to be exposed along with me this morning, um, I think what we'll find is this. Some of the things the world says about the church, the problem, the root issue, is not out there and it's not over there, but it's in here. It's in us. It's in me and it's in you. And if I could narrow the problem down to one thing, I would say something like this, is that our problem isn't in what we say we believe, but in how deeply we actually believe it. I think the problem is that we've settled for a superficial gospel. What do I mean? Well, the story of Jesus for many of us is familiar. It's routine. We've heard it so many times. Uh, and the message of Jesus has become uh, so warped in our lives that we've almost forgotten what it means. It's like when you uh, are in the ocean and you go into the water from a specific point on the shore and what happens after a while when you look back? Yeah, you've drifted. And sometimes it seems like in seconds you can be so far from the point that you entered into the water and so you have to look back and kind of gain your bearings and then work, work your way back. And so I think in many ways, that's what I want to do this morning, is to, to reorient us to what the message of the gospel is and, and what it says. And the good news is the gospel is custom-made for drifters. It's custom-made for hypocrites. And it's made specifically for those who are judgmental. Just like Jesus said, when he was questioned for sitting down with sinners and tax collectors or whoever it was, and he said, I've actually not come for the righteous, I've come for who? For the sinners. I haven't come for the healthy, for the people who have it together. I've come for those who are sick. And this is what the gospel wants to tell us. And so, again, if our problem is believing a superficial gospel, then this morning I want to explore its depths. 
All right, so the word gospel has a lot of baggage, a lot of religious baggage. It's been uh, dragged through centuries of use. And so I don't know what you think of when you hear that word. Maybe you think of the street uh, preacher that screams from the corner. Maybe you think of, oh, gospel, okay, that's something what Jesus taught, or it's a word in the Bible. We could be coming from all kinds of different places. Uh, So let's start here. What does the word gospel mean? Okay, good news. Exactly. And sometimes we even combine those two. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. Um, What might surprise you is the word gospel is not always just a religious term. If we go back to the, the time when Jesus walked this earth, gospel was used by all kinds of people, Greeks, Romans, and many times it was used in a military sense. So if there was a kingdom fighting a war and they were victorious, what the message that would come back to that conquering king would be good news, gospel. We've won. We've defeated the enemy. In fact, in Luke 2, we're introduced to this powerful ruler named Caesar Augustus. The Caesar that sat on the throne when the Son of God was born into the world. And Caesar himself actually declared his birthday as gospel, the same exact word that we find in our Bible. So I want to show you this quote from, it's from 9 BC. This is an official kind of edict that went out about Caesar, and it says, All cities adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. And what's fascinating is this word is being used all over the world. And then when God becomes a human being, the writers of the gospel look back on that moment and they use the same word to describe Jesus coming into existence as a human So look at Luke 2.10. The announcement of Jesus' birth. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news or gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. And this word gospel, it wasn't just spoken about Jesus, but it was actually a word that he used himself to describe his own ministry. So next. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And one more. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news or gospel of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus summarizes his whole purpose for coming to earth as good news, as gospel. And if it's that important that Jesus would summarize his mission with that word, then it's gotta be powerful. It's gotta be one of the most powerful words ever used. And so I would say the gospel is this. It's the powerful reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. And some of you are probably thinking, all right, this is Christianity 101. I've heard this. I get it. But for myself, I'm really not sure that I get it. I think 
in many ways, I've embraced a superficial understanding of what the gospel is. And so I want to show you guys something that one of my favorite professors showed me a number of years ago. And I grew up in church. I could have given you a lot of answers, but I don't know that I ever heard the gospel explained in this way. And so when it was presented to me, I just had this moment of, oh man, that's actually really helpful. So I I hope it's helpful for you. So let's throw it up here. I think it's helpful to think of the gospel in terms of past, present, and future. In the past, what does the gospel say to our lives? Well, it's the message that Jesus paid the penalty for sin by dying on a cross. That our guilt and our shame has been eliminated there. That at that moment in history, God paid for the sin of the entire world. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to the present, right? Every day we wake up, the alarm goes off, and we are faced with all kinds of situations and and struggles. And this is why the gospel is truly good news. Because in the present, Every day you breathe, every day you are living and going through your day, the gospel breaks the power of sin, that you are being transformed every single day. And then the future, that one day God has made this incredible promise to us that the very presence of sin will one day be removed. And some people call that heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. But one day, this struggle that we feel is no longer going to be there. And so this shows up all throughout scripture. Let me show you past, present, and future quickly. Next verse. Here's the past. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Present. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But listen to how this is phrased here. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. What does it mean that we are being saved? That's really at the heart of what I want to share this morning. And then future. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall or will we be saved from God's wrath through him? By the way, whoever's doing slides back there, it always amazes me. They are so just on it. Every time we go kind of fast. Okay, again, some of you still might have this sense of, All right, I have yet to hear something new. Um, And it's true. In some ways, I'm just trying to remind us of some deep truths. But I want to suggest something, that you can hear something a thousand times and still miss the point. Have you ever seen the FedEx logo? All right, let's throw it up there. Okay, be honest. How many of you have noticed before that there is an arrow embedded in the logo? Okay, I hear some, what? Do you guys see it? Where's it at? Okay, how many of you are seeing that for the first time? Yes, I got a few of you. Awesome. You're welcome. I I guarantee that every time you look at the FedEx logo from this day forward, you're going to look for the arrow and you're going to point it out to everyone and it's going to be obnoxious because that's what I do. Do you see the arrow? Yes, you've told me 10 times already. I think it's possible to be familiar with the gospel and to miss parts of it or to have certain parts of it only shape and sink to a certain level of depth in us 
But there's more there than maybe what we assume is there. So I want to tell you how I miss it. Here's what I've missed about the gospel. I've made part of the gospel story the whole story. I've taken part of the story and I've made it the whole story. So the part that I emphasize is the past and the future. And the part that I leave out is the present. And that leaves me kind of unsure what Jesus has for me in everyday life. And so I've kind of oversimplified the message of Jesus into two statements. Past, I'm forgiven. And future, I'm going to heaven. And I've completely missed a huge section of the gospel story. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show us what happens when we only when we shrink the gospel to just the past and just the future, and then I want to try to restore the full story. And I hope that it's helpful for us. Um, when you limit the gospel just to the past, what happens? Well, I think if we were honest, we would all be willing to confess that sometimes we suffer from spiritual boredom, spiritual apathy. Christianity feels like this repetitive cycle We read from the same book, we come to the same place, we see the same people, we talk about many similar things, sing the same songs, but at the end of it all, we wonder, okay, what difference is this actually making in my everyday life? So many of us look back at the cross and and what Jesus did there, and and we, we struggled to know, okay, so what does this mean for right now, the here and now? And some of us carry this sense of guilt because we, we know that we should care more about these things, but we just feel kind of bored, kind of like we're going through the motions. And we're not sure what to do with that. Um, transformation, any idea that Jesus would want to do something with us now, change us now, feels kind of idealistic because... We feel like we have the same habits, the same insecurities, the same guilt, the same anger. We can see these patterns just repeating in our lives. And although we're saying Jesus changes everything, from the outside and from the opinions of much of the culture around us, that that change isn't visible. That's a gospel that's been locked into the past. It emphasizes forgiveness, but hasn't discovered transformation. What about the future? All right, modern Christianity is big on this one because we've summarized the whole faith with one simple question. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? We've centered everything we say about Jesus as if it's the whole goal of the faith. What happens when you die? And so we're spiritual escapists. It's like, well, I have to hang out on this earth for a while, but really I'm just kind of waiting around until I get beamed up or taken and I get to experience, you know, heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And the other part that's hard about this future view is that we are a culture of instant gratification. How good are we at waiting for things? (laughs) If we make a promise, usually we can't remember that we made that promise for longer than a couple days. Look at the world around us, all that's offered us, that's exciting, that's pleasurable, that's fun, but it's all fleeting. 
And if your only view of Jesus and the gospel is one day I will get to heaven, how compelling is that when you're immersed in a world like this? We start to reach out and find fulfillment and satisfaction in all sorts of things, in our families and entertainment and success and career. And so it's dangerous to limit the gospel to the future and the past. Okay, before moving on, I have to say, just because we isolate part of the story and make it the whole story doesn't mean those parts of the story aren't beautiful. The forgiveness of the cross and the hope of heaven are beautiful truths. However, we are living on this earth and Jesus has things for us right now. And yes, we look back, every time we come to the table, we look back at the cross. And on those hardest days, we look forward to heaven in the future. But what about right now? What about the alarm going off, kids screaming, stuck in traffic, tempted, struggling, broken, depressed? What about all of that? And that's where the gospel invades right now in the future. One of the best places that I know to go in the scriptures to talk about this and to open up the the story of the gospel, to show us how it meets us right here, right now, is the book of Galatians. So if you wanna go there on your phone or just read it on the screen, totally fine. But Galatians 5, the way that Paul describes this is in terms of a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh is our ego, it's our desire to do life apart from God and be independent of him, our desire to earn our goodness apart from God and to do it all on our own. The flesh, on the other hand, is God's spirit that literally the scriptures say lives inside of us and transforms us. And Paul describes a battle. So let's read this together. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Okay, I want you to, if you would, just focus in on that last line after the comma. So you do not do what you want. There's two ways that scholars and Christians for years have understood that phrase. So think about in your own mind what that is saying. Okay, here's the first way people take that. Our flesh is warring against our sp- the spirit of God in us. So, oh, you can go back. Thank you, though. Okay, so he says, you do not do what you want. So people think, all right, there, I have the spirit of God, but there's going to be so many moments when I am no match for the desires of my flesh. It's, it's a losing battle much of the time because of sin and because of darkness and all of those things. Um, that's one way to understand it, but I just think it's completely wrong for a number of reasons. The whole book of Galatians is about freedom in Christ. I don't have this one on the, the screen, but even all of chapter five, where we are right here, says this. This is how it starts. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by slavery. And then in this passage, in, the, in verse 16, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, for Paul who wrote this, the flesh and the spirit are not equal powers. 
just flip a coin and one day this one will win, one day the other one will win. No, the spirit is infinitely more powerful than the flesh. And so let me show you some other versions or translations of this verse that might help bring this idea out more. The ESV says, I'll just read that last line, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And the NIV says, they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And I think this is exactly what the gospel has to say to our lives here and now, is that we're not alone in our our struggle, in the temptation we face, in the sense of apathy and boredom that we experience, but that God has put his spirit in us and every day, like an, like an ice sculpture, the spirit is slowly chiseling away, turning us into something beautiful. I think that's what Paul is saying right here. Have you ever wondered why God's spirit dwelled, has chosen to dwell in us? Have you ever given that any thought? God, all-powerful creator of heaven and earth, decides he's going to live in us. Why would he do that? Out of all the places he could have chosen to live and dwell, he's, he's chosen to fill us. Why would he do that? I think the answer is because in God's goodness and grace, he knew um, what an amazing gift it would be to have that power, that love in us at all times. I think some people hear this and they think, all right, that's a little too optimistic. All right, doesn't darkness have the upper hand in this world? Okay, to expect real life change, isn't that a little idealistic, a little too simple? And certainly, um, that is a valid question. Um, I'll never forget a conversation I had with a friend. We were talking about, just lamenting really, about the brokenness in our lives and how we could see these cycles continuing, making the same mistakes, just ruining ourselves, going after things that don't satisfy. And we were sitting there, and after a pause, I said to my friend, really just out of pure exhaustion, I said, do you ever think that we're gonna beat this? And I'll never forget what he said, because it was completely wrong. His answer was, no, we're not getting over this. We're never getting over this. And I don't fault him for saying it because the clouds were hovering pretty thick in that moment. But the gospel says, you're not going to do it perfectly. You are going to fail and struggle, but change is not only possible, it's a guarantee. That as you look forward to heaven, God is preparing you to get there. And what he's done in your past is to free you to live differently right now. And I've never forgotten that conversation because in my spirit, something just lurched and twisted and it just wasn't right. I think the greatest challenge we face is, you know, the world's looking for spiritual direction, the next little thing that's going to help you live life better, spiritual life hacks, 
Here's the secret ingredient you need. That's not the story of Christianity at all. The story of Christianity and the challenge of our faith is not finding spiritual power somewhere out there. It's not a code that you have to crack, a formula you have to solve. It's realizing the power that is already inside you. It's already in us. It's there. I want to convince some of you of this. So let's look at Romans 8.11. It says this, one of my favorite verses in all of the, the Bible. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What kind of power did it take to raise a dead man from the grave? to leave an empty tomb. The scriptures say that power lives in you. Why? To give you new life each and every day. The second one I want to share with you guys is I think one of the most shocking things Jesus ever said. Because that's a moment with his disciples where he's hours away from being crucified. He's about to be separated from them. They're all going to flee and abandon him. And he says this in this very intimate moment, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have these moments where I just desperately long to see Jesus face to face. If he was in front of me, if I could look into his eyes, what would that change in my life? Would I wake up from my boredom, from my apathy? And Jesus says something shocking. He says, it's actually better that I leave and not be physically here as a human being. It's better for me to send the advocate, which is another name for the spirit of God. What would be so precious and so life-changing that Jesus would say a statement like that? And the answer is, out of his love, Jesus knew that if he left and sent the Spirit to us, that we would have resurrection power at our disposal. Every day we wake up. And some of us are thinking, yeah, but I don't feel that. It's good to know, and I believe it, or maybe I want to believe it, but why don't I feel it? And I think the answer is that the Spirit's work is silent and steady, and we want flashy. We want dramatic. Um, This book is a highlight reel of what God has done in history. And a lot of these these stories and these accounts are amazing and they're filled with God's power and miracles. But that hasn't been the average experience of Christians throughout the centuries. They've been walking the day-to-day grind just as we, we have. But how does change actually happen? It happens slowly and steadily. And that's hard for us. I want you to think about the greatest change in your physical appearance that you've experienced in your life. For most of us, it's the natural growth process. So if you took a a baby picture and you held it up to your face now, 
I hope there'd be a difference. Um, no, of course, there'd be a huge difference between yourself then and yourself now. Um, quick side note, uh, when my wife sees pictures of me in junior high and high school, um, I went through some awkward stages. And so her standard response when she sees those pictures, sorry, Emma, I have to tell this story. Uh, she says, if I had known you then, we wouldn't be married. <laughs> so there you go. But if you, if you look at a picture of yourself, that growth that has happened, you couldn't see it from minute to minute. Okay, visibly, you couldn't see yourself growing, but when you look back, you can see how much you've changed. But that, that's been a powerful change that's been slowly working itself out in you. And I think that's how the Spirit of God often works. And we're so trained, I think, today to want dramatic, to want supernatural, to want exciting or emotional. And God will give us those moments at times. But his most powerful work, I'm convinced, is his silent, steady, faithful, continuous growth. And that's how the gospel, I think, breaks into our present. A couple centuries ago, the world was changed by an incredible invention. And I have it sitting right here on this podium, so I'm gonna show you guys. This invention completely changed the world. And here it is, glasses. I had never thought about this before, but someone explained it like this. There was a time in human history when if your eyesight started to go, that was it. Anatomy was destiny. When the world started getting blurry and going dark, there was nothing you could do about it. You, you were completely at the mercy of nature until someone created what they call bifocals, right? And it made the impossible possible. It actually planted this seed in the human mind that nature did not always have to have the last word that there was a way you could see even when your eyes were failing you. And that was a powerful message, that what happens naturally does not have to define you anymore. And I think, again, the gospel is saying the same thing to us, that what comes natural to us, our cravings, our desires, our hypocrisy, our judgmentalism, does not have the final word. Why? Because Jesus died for us. He's taken away the shame and the penalty, but he's alive in us right now with resurrection power. And he can transform those parts of us that feel impossibly hard and impossibly broken, and he can restore them. The question is, once again, how deeply do you believe that? Not just do you believe it, but how deeply do you believe that? I think if we're willing to put blame aside and to be exposed, what we recognize is none of us are really okay. This facade of being self-sufficient, like we can just get through life and, and be okay and, and, and be good people, I think if we're honest enough, we would admit that that's not reality. And the good news is twofold. One, we're all in that same camp. And two, God wants to do something in us every single day.
as you're driving in the car, as you're eating dinner, as you're having conversations. Our time here at church is something like 1% of our week. What about all that other time? Where is God? What is he doing? The gospel says he's living in you and he wants to transform you. What does it look like? When I was introduced to that past, present, future kind of diagram, I was in the midst of a rough season in my life. And just knowing in my mind and in my heart that God's spirit lives in me, what it looked like is in my moments of weakness or in my moments of temptation, I would literally cry out to the spirit. And I would ask for help. To me, it just looked like acknowledging that he was with me because I'd been living as if he's not. And so they were desperate cries to God's Holy Spirit. Will you help me? Will you meet me? God, take this desire that just feels like I can never shake it and replace it with a new love, replace it with new desires. And it was really that practical. Again, there's no, there's no secret formula to that. But I, I want to share that part of my story because what do we do with this huge truth that God lives in us? What do we do with that? I think it means in every mundane moment of life, when you can remember that he's with you, cry out to him. Believe that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you in that moment. One of the most beautiful things, I think, to, to watch is to, to talk with someone who's been with Jesus for a long time. Just ask someone like that how they've changed. Ask how they've seen Jesus working in their life. Maybe you can look at your own life and, and see the same thing. Um, but it's beautiful what he can do. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this word gospel. Lord, that was used to announce your birth, Lord, that you used to describe your own ministry on this earth. And God, I pray right now that in our minds and hearts, we would come to understand what that gospel has to do with here and now, with the everyday mundane parts of life with the, the secrets we hold, with the, the guilt that we harbor, with the sense of just boredom and aimlessness. God, open our eyes to see in new ways that you are with us. God, that your spirit is a spirit of life and freedom, not slavery. God, that our faith is not reminiscing about religious relics, it's not looking ahead for spirit, a spiritual escape. Lord, we're not just in limbo between forgiveness and paradise. But God, you are turning us into new creations every day, every moment. If we would submit to your spirit, surrender to your spirit that lives in us. So God, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, I would love to just bless us before we go. Um, the gospel truly is good news. And I think this week, new levels of freedom and transformation await. So let me just read our usual blessing over us and um, you guys have a good week. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.